respect to the people of the Woi Wurrung and Bun Wurrung language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nations on whose unceded lands the SIN office and studios stand. SIN Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. SIN Media also acknowledges the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches and on which SIN partner organisations stand. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And today we have Benjamin Foy talking about his research project. So tell us about your project. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. Uh, I'll- I, I don't think I'm, um, uh, <laughs> it's, it's nice to be, uh, have the project being called exciting. Uh, I personally just hoping that it might help in some small way. Um, so I, I'm a PhD candidate over at the faculty of IT. Um, and, uh, I work in a lab called, uh, inclusive technologies. And essentially the lab's focus is, is uh, really around, um, looking at technologies and, um, looking at sort of, uh, inclusive processes, which can, um, generate a more inclusive society. Uh, so far the lab has focused a lot on blind and low vision, uh, in, in particular looking at um, creating new 3D maps, which make it easier for folks with, uh, who are blind and low vision to, uh, be able to navigate the environment. Um, another key area that, uh, the lab works on, uh, is the, uh, with, uh, younger people with intellectual or learning challenges. So, uh, our lab head, there's a lot of work in electronics uh, for younger children with disabilities, where uh, essentially um, it gives them the sort of utility of being able to build electronics, uh, which are sort of set up um, to be used uh, by the widest sort of range of students. So uh, that's a little introduction to the lab. Um, as for myself, um, I have a number of uh, disabilities, both on the physical side of things with my uh, legs, um, mostly in the legs, it's uh, bone related. So I have trouble getting around and uh, I'm in pain all the time. Uh, I've also got a number of uh, psychiatric and cognitive uh, challenges. Uh, I've been diagnosed with uh, a major depressive disorder quite a while ago and a generalized anxiety disorder. Again, that was quite a while back. And I am currently being tested for ADHD and uh, autism. But uh, those are taking some time, as uh, I think many Australians are familiar with. Um and sort of the the goal in my research is to basically uh, use this lived experience and perhaps some of my training in IT and other areas to uh, come up with uh, good hypotheses to uh, focus on uh, uh, during this time in the PhD and possibly into the future as a researcher. 
And um, one of the sort of first, uh, what we realize in the literature is that um, at least within uh, human-centered computer research is that uh, that at uh, during the season of uh, publication, there seems to be less uh, research being done uh, for folks with uh, cognitive impairment and perhaps uh, within the space of neurodivergencies. So I sort of uh, hung on to that and said, okay, if that's the case, uh, let me see if we can do anything in this area. And so one of the sort of main things that I have an issue with um, whether it's ADHD or brain fog or one of the other conditions, uh, functionally, I tend to lose things quite regularly. I can't seem to keep track of my uh, stuff, and uh, it definitely stresses me out when I go outside uh, because I worry about um, where I might leave things and forget them, especially expensive things. Um, so uh, generally... Uh, I think that affects the way I sort of interact with the world. Um, so this sort of first leg of research for me is uh, really trying to figure out for um, folks who are neurodivergent or have cognitive impairment, um, how should we design and create technological or sort of habit-forming uh, solutions which allow us to basically reduce the chances of losing things. Um, and at this stage of the research, I am uh, doing um, interviews with uh, other folks who identify uh, with having this functional um, sort of uh, propensity to lose things and also uh, identify or have been diagnosed as. Uh, neurodivergent so that we can see if um, there's anything unique about us that we need to take into account when developing uh, solutions in this space. And I guess one of the uh, examples I can come up with is uh, we tend to have uh, sort of uh, sensory things going on in our wrists. So like right now, um, I'm just showing to the camera that um, I, I, I can, if I think about it, I start to feel uncomfortable about having my sweater touching my wrist. So, uh, it's, which is the reason why a lot of us probably don't wear watches or, you know, wear watches with very specific sort of fields to them. Or, and, you know, um, just thinking about that, um, it may be challenging for, um, neurodivergent folks like us to keep a smart watch on. So asking us to keep track of our things using a smart watch might not be ideal. Uh, but perhaps having some sort of device, uh, connected to a carabiner, uh, on a belt might be more suitable. But again, what I've found is some people, uh, prefer not to wear belts at all. Uh, it needs to be a very particular type of clothing, whether it be stretchy pants or uh, dresses, uh, rather than wearing pants at all. So, yeah, we've got quite a lot of uh, interesting design challenges in front of us. And, uh, yeah, we're excited to try and figure that out. And, 
you know, uh, see where the research leads into the future. Um, my sort of goals are that we will do one functional uh, project in the uh, neurodivergence space, uh, one social interaction project within the neurodivergence space, which uh, I think uh, would be quite interesting, and then uh, one sort of community or societal level project uh, in the neurodivergence space during the time of my PhD which I am doing part-time because of the uh, disabilities I have as a, a form of uh, reasonable adjustment. Yeah, so that, that I think that covers most of my research stuff. Uh, so what do you want the outcome of your PhD to be? What do you want people to take away from it? Sure. Um, I think... Uh, for the functional side of things, if, um, if, if we are able to develop, uh, solutions which reduce the cognitive load of thinking about losing things for folks who are neurodivergent, uh, that would be great. So I, if, if we had an automatic and easy to use sort of solution where uh, it helps prevent the loss of personal items, uh, such that we don't have to think about it anymore. Like, let's say I have my, um, I have my laptop in hand. I pay for my food and I leave my laptop on the, uh, cashier counter and I walk away. Um, the solution might be able to say, you know, Hey, Ben, uh, you left your laptop behind. Uh, go get it. <laughs> You know, something like that. Um, and, and that removes the requirement in my brain to really think about it. And if it can be done in a reliable way, uh, which really reduces the incidence of loss, then we can use that sort of cognitive brain energy. I think you know where I'm coming from, uh, you know, and use it for other things like, um, dealing with social cues or just dealing with any other sort of things that uh, we find challenging uh, from a you know day-to-day -day perspective. So yeah, that's my goal for uh, the current project. As for the other things, um, if if there's means and ways to make a more uh, uh, to create more social interactions, create more friendships and community uh, using technology as an enabler, uh, that that would be great as well. Um, and also sort of building um, places where people can uh, come together and discuss things at a sort of uh, civil society level, that would also be great. I, I think um, if we could sort of integrate um, all of Monash's uh, students with disability community, uh, rather than I think uh, Monash Clayton has a fantastic um, uh, disabilities and carers, uh, collective, but I think all the other campuses may not have an equivalent. Um, so it'd be really great, uh, if there was some way to use technology as an enabler to, um, bring together the other campuses. I'm somebody who regularly loses things, which is why I signed up to your research. I'm sorry I've been a bit slow, but I've got a lot of work to do. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, I am very well famous for losing things. I've been to, um, um, 
you know, lost property was very popular, you know, for me because I'm often there because I keep losing things. I have found my own solutions, which I personally use, such as not taking things out of my bag and things like that because it's just a guarantee to lose things. I know that I just cannot leave things out or have to put things in certain locations, otherwise I will lose them permanently. Agreed. Yeah, I think there's also a great ways to deal with it. Uh, within the other participants, I think those of us who are sort of... Um, so what's interesting is uh, the losing things uh, tends to level out if... Uh, they have other sort of um, um, neurodivergencies. So if, let's say, someone is uh, ADHD and has been diagnosed as uh, autistic, um, what we found is uh, they they tend to have a, a lot of processes to um, sort of make sure that they lo- don't lose things, um, which is somewhat of an AD, uh, ASD trait which I can identify with. Um, then for those who have, uh, who also have been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive, uh, behavior, they also have sort of processes which helps them to not lose things because they're constantly checking and being concerned about, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but again, I think that it creates a bit of cognitive effort, uh, to keep having to worry about these sort of things and if they can be automated or or at least semi-automated in a way that is fun and uh, creates a sense of uh, uh, security, it it would be quite helpful. Um, And if, let's say, your your ADHD is the primary concern, we've also seen that um, some folks can't Basically, um, no procedure would help, um, like having a, a sort of set way to deal with your bag or a set way where you put things in a bowl at home every time, uh, you go to the, you reach home. Well, uh, we found that some, for some folks, uh, none of these strategies would work. And as such, uh, automating or, uh, sort of semi-automating the process uh, maybe the only way for them to be uh, independent about these things without um, getting additional support. Yeah. Because this is something um, myself and a lot of people I know deal with, and it is mm-hmm. incredibly stressful. It can yeah. be incredibly unpleasant for them, and it can be also very humiliating because, you know, they're walking around, you know, unable to find important things and it's actually very stressful. And I think that working on this is just so important because it's an area of disability that is regularly not spoken about and mm-hmm. it's often just lumped with people who are, you know, considered just to be a bit forgetful, but it is actually a very stressful thing. And sometimes I wonder why I am far more forgetful than other people. Mm-hmm. If I regularly lose things, I probably say I would lose at least one thing per day. And, you know, I've got things like I've got very expensive headphones. I don't want to lose them. They're very good and I'll probably never get them again. Yeah. I completely empathise with that. I'm in the same shoes. I think many of us, especially who deal with uh, sensory overload, we've got one really good pair of headphones 
and they're really expensive and we can't afford a new one. So, you know, we tend to worry about where they are a lot. And in my lifetime, um, I've, I've must have lost them, you know, at least quite a couple of times and they can be quite, it can be quite traumatic. Um, so I, I can definitely empathize with, uh, the, the situation. And as you said, um, for a lot of, uh, folks, they think it's just absent mindedness, uh, which perhaps makes it difficult, um, to sort of show that it is actually a, a real issue. Um, on the plus side, because most human beings will deal with this issue, especially as they get older, um, what we will be able to do, I hope, is to develop a solution which is uh, valuable to the general public as well. And by getting uh, the general public to pay for uh, uh, sort of uh, reasonable selling prices, we can then subsidize the costs uh, for folks who are perhaps on the NDIS or uh, who don't have access to sort of, um, you know, uh, the sort of money that, uh, older elderly individual who has had a lifetime of, uh, being, having a, you know, productive career would not uh, have. So hopefully we'll be able to find a sustainable way of, uh, creating a solution which, uh, will make the price reasonable for people who really need it by getting the people who can afford it to pay for most of it. Yeah. Because yeah, it, they, they deal with it. Yeah. It's something I really, really annoys me and a lot of my friends. Yeah. And I've had some very traumatic experience. So I have lost things and I have actually needed to go. And it has actually thrown me off for the whole day. I've had to come home from uni because it was so traumatic for me to have lost mm. things. And there have been days where I've gone without you know, headphones and things that are important to me yep. because I just, you know, I don't want to lose them. And, you yeah. know, having too many things in my bag is also something that causes me to become even more forgetful. And I've just thought of myself, what is really the point of actually taking all these items to campus or, mm. you know, to work and stuff? Because, you know, losing things is just so traumatic for me. You know why that was one of the big advantages of the great lockdowns that we had because it was like everything is in my room. I can't lose anything. If it's I've lost it, it can't be far. I get that. I definitely get that. And there was one time where I forgot some very important books on a train and I never got them back, buy them from mm -hmm. the library. Mm -hmm. There was another time where I left my – oh, this was a very cruel one. I left my purse, so my money and all my cards mm -hmm. uh, at uni the day of the lockdown, and they would not let me go and get it back. Mm -hmm. They actually said you cannot leave um, the three-kilometre zone to get your essential items, including my healthcare card, back. And I found that to be personally very offensive because – those are items that I need, and now I didn't have any money for about the whole lockdown to ask my parents' money. It was actually very, very bad. So, yeah, That's I think really less discrimination people who, you know, have lost things and need to go get them. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's – it's it, the lock 
Yeah, I, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Uh, I, I wish they had been a bit more empathetic to your situation. It, it does bring up the point that, you know, um, unless it, they, they can feel how you feel in your brain, uh, a lot of folks just find it hard to empathize. Um, so yeah, again, I'm, I'm thinking about it from, uh, like, a you know, social, uh, empathy sort of point of view. I think we really need to sort of work on that, uh, as well so that everyone sort of gets some training and awareness on how it is to worry about these sort of things, uh, especially when we tend to lose things more often um, and be able to help rather than, you know, create more uh, stress in that sense. So um, I'm quite, uh, 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 it's quite unfortunate that you had to go through that. Mm. And hopefully if, if we develop the right sort of technologies, uh, you know, that sort of thing just won't happen and you never have to sort of deal with that from that perspective. I had to go essentially the whole of lockdown without any money and I had to ask, you know, my parents constantly for money. And then I was like, during a lockdown, I needed a lot of things to cope. And, mm -hmm. well, they weren't just going to give me money all the time. And, you know, without my debit card and, you know, my you know, my cards, you know, my stuff didn't really work. No, that, that's really quite unfortunate. Um, Another yeah. thing I found is having everything on your phone mm -hmm. because, you know, you, it's very tired to lose things digitally. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I agree. Yeah. A lot of banks now have, you know, credit cards, you know, via phone. It's probably not the most secure way of doing things, but a lot of people find it much easier to have everything just on this one little cell phone device that they can use. The, the struggle is then um, with some folks, uh, they lose their phone. Yes. I have lost my phone a total of about 25 times, I think. Mm -hmm. But with also with phones, you, you can put like a tracking app in them. Yeah. And, you know, it, you can then track them to, say, a computer or you have a, like a desktop at home, you can track them to that. Mm -hmm. Or you could have, like, you know, an old phone that you use purely for the tracking purposes. You know, there's, they had a new product called AirTag that had come out a few years yeah. ago. However, mm -hmm. people often complain that people were using them to track people. Yeah, that's my struggle with them. Um, I would have advocated for AirTags, but I don't want to perpetrate this, um, that we're okay with them having a stocking component to them. So, uh, yeah, I, I could not advocate for air track, uh, air tags, unfortunately. Because I, you know, was, I was like, oh my gosh, this thing's going in my wallet as soon as I get it. Mm. And I had actually, you know, I said, you know, because another one you can also get called tile. Yeah. And I, I had a teacher at school who had this thing on his wallet and I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's a tracking thing. Put in your phone, tells you where it is. And I was like, Christmas present. That's like one of my, my great purchases. And it's like, but now people are saying air tags are used for stalking and other sorts of things like that. And I'm like, I think whilst they can be used for stalking, I mm -hmm. think that um, they have have. It is a very very good idea um, mm -hmm. to have something like that. And I think that for people 
you know, who, who need them. I think there should be a way for them to access them. And the amount of people who have been stalked with them is actually quite phenomenal. I always wondered why this technology was not further researched. And the reason is because so AirTag, Tile and any other company that's making them, and that is why these areas have not been further researched because of the high risk of abuse and i feel that unless the technology improves to prevent stalking i do worry about how these products may be used i guess the other struggle with air tags is that they're a bit pricey yeah they are that yeah they are extremely expensive and you know what for essentially is in my opinion with cost you know making a lot of accessibility tools only really available to people who are wealthy yeah. and since disabled people face a lot of barriers to accumulating wealth mm-hmm. i think that you know it should be government subsidized and you know i shouldn't have to face barriers to things that i need for my own survival and to yeah. live at the same um at you know at, at, at the level of everyone else i shouldn't have to pay for accessibility tools and i'm someone who great advocates that all sort of accessibility tools um, for mm. any for disability should be completely free for people who are disabled. And I'm in fully um, support, you know, NDIS sorts of plans that make these things completely free for anyone. Mm. Well, I should the have free items that... The, the struggle with that, Rachel, is um, we... Uh, so I come from an economics background, first and foremost, and anything that we do tends to have flow-on effects. So, for example, with the NDIS, uh, with its wonderful sort of uh, vision for uh, the future of disability in Australia, with it comes people who have no ethics or no morals, who have found means and ways to scam and take advantage of the scheme uh, at cost to, to, to the taxpayers, but of of also at cost to you know the people who are recipients of to the NDIS. So I I tend to be very careful in terms of uh, uh, thinking about what the flow on effects of doing things are. So for example, if we made air tags something which um, which the NDIS supports, then more and more people with ADHD uh, who per uh, would try to get onto the NDIS to get those tags, and that's not necessarily wrong. But because the NDIS is an insurance scheme, um, it, there's only so much money. So as much as possible, um, I think things need to be more universally designed so that people didn't have to rely too much on this you know, very limited amount of money which I think, uh, I personally think that uh, there isn't enough to go around. And I think if we have to support... I think the money for people who were disabled and vulnerable is what taxes should be spent on. And if you need this accessibility aid, which is what I want to call these items, I think, well, the rich need more taxes. So if I were to design a tracking solution, um, firstly, I would not pay Apple uh, to and give them that profit to say, oh, yeah, we can keep doing this because, you know, the Australian government's just going to keep paying us, so we're going to make these expensive products. I don't think that's the right way. The other thing as well is the AirTags only work with Apple devices, and 
for the older Apple devices, it would drain the battery tremendously. A product similar to an AirTag or a tile tracker that can be used by disabled people to track, you know, objects of value that they can't lose, like wallets. And those products should be designed by researchers in not-for-profits like universities who specialise in designing products for people with disabilities. And to prevent stalking and abuse, they should be available to people on the NDIS and they used to be monitored by NDIS caseworkers. Mm. Even methods including, like, sewing them into wallets or, you know, welding them to phones may be a viable solution to prevent abuse of these products or items and, you know, maybe moving away from companies like Apple who designed them purely for a profit, moving them into the public sector of public research universities and not-for-profits who are making these products. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even designing a wallet that, um, you know, can be tracked and sort of can always come back or, you know, or sometimes, you know, other options including, because I once found somebody's wallet at Coles and I took it into Coles and I handed it in there and it was sent back easily and i've got a friend who lost his um purse in the united states and the way it was found was that someone you know that they went through and they found a card for costco and they rang up costco and costco then gave them the details of the person and it was sent back to australia with a letter from costco and Mm. i I thought that was quite an interesting way about how things find their owners again Mm-hmm. And, you know, often people find things after 50, 60 years of being lost. It makes the news here. These heartwarming news so people who have lost it, who found an old camera and they're able to track down the owners of it. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I find it to be very interesting. But I also think it is highly important for us to find ethical ways of tracking items. If, you know, putting everything, you know, if wallets on smartphones are good ideas. Mm-hmm. I've got. Um, I have my EpiPens that very important because they yeah. are, you know, a medical item that if I um, go without and have anaphylaxis, yeah. that can be fatal for me. So having them on me at all times is very important. As like when I was in school, I, you know, one of those sort of you know bum bag things that people used to have in the eighties. I had one of those to make sure it always stayed on me at all times. Mm-hmm. But even back in, you know, in, in there in primary school, they had some really annoying rules about me having to carry it around to learn responsibility and stuff. This became a pretty big problem in high school. I'd have it in my in my um, pencil case all the time. And, you know, sometimes I think that, you know, personal safety trumps, you know, teaching personal responsibility. And I think that I don't see a reason why teachers couldn't have had an, an EpiPen in every single classroom or something just to make sure there was always one with me at all times. And I found that to be very important. And I think that, you know, schools, you know, organisations and, you know, first aid kits should, you know, understand the importance of these medical conditions and, you know, have items of importance in case someone loses them. Well, I I agree. I I would say that um, if it's not being done, it's definitely an ethical issue or a resource constraint issue, and that needs to be discussed and you know deal with that tension. Unfortunately, like I mean, if it if it were me, I I would definitely want to have it in place. I guess the issue is making sure that EpiPen is uh, sort of not expired 
that I know where it is at all times and I know which student needs it. Um, yeah. yeah. So that, those sort of procedures need to be dealt with at a school yeah. level. Yeah, currently I carry it, but, you know, school was a time when I was very, very bad at losing things. Yep. And, you know, back in school we had, I felt like I had a lot more books at school than I have now at university level. Mm-hmm. And I find that, you know, the amount of books I needed for school compared to the amount of work we did just seriously wasn't worth it, in my opinion, to have all those books. Mm-hmm. I found it to be school to be quite a waste of time. I'm one of those, you know, school's a waste of time. They need to make it more like university type people. So, hmm. again, and, you know, a lot unfortunately, of I'm not, I don't have the sort of uh, training at the middle school, high school level. Um, so I, I can't really set up an opinion for that. Um, but in my opinion, like the early stage of an education tends to be need to be quite generic so that everyone gets a chance to learn everything. And hopefully at by university level, they have a sense of where they best fit in. Fit in. Um, and younger minds tend to be a bit more uh, absorbent in that way. So if they didn't do the sort of mess dump, dumping of education when someone was young and reach, uh, waited till the top time that they were matured enough, uh, it may be too late. I have another thing that's also very important is, you know, train tickets or Mikey's. Mm-hmm. The amount of time when I have, you know, lost my Mikey or lost my concession card is phenomenal. I've mm-hmm. only been Mikey fined once and I was able to get out of it. Um, yep. I find that, you know, that to be a very traumatic thing. And I get so angry about Mikey inspectors handing out these $200 fines for people who, um, are, because these fines for some people, are the difference between food for some people and rent yeah. for some people. And all I can say, and all I can say to my key inspectors is I don't care about how much abuse you might get from people on the streets from uni students like myself. Taking away someone's rent money and food money is, is one of the most cruel and callous things a human being can do. Those fines are a form of ableism in society.